Hello and welcome to Sacramentum, a podcast by and for the Parish Church of St. Jerome. If you're not a member of our parish and are joining us today, we're glad you're here. We are an inclusive Catholic community that offers all the Church's sacraments to all of God's people. I'm Sam Beck, and I'm joined by our pastor, Father Joshua Shawnee, and our Director of Christian Education, Josh Beck. Today, we're continuing our series, Intro to St. Jerome's, and in the next couple episodes, we're talking about what it means to be independent Catholic, starting today with what it means to be Catholic. So I think probably a good place to start this discussion is what, like, what does the word Catholic actually mean? Yeah, uh, the word Catholic actually means universal. And so when we assert the Catholicity of the Church, we're asserting that it's the full faith, the universal faith uh, for all the people um, across all time. Um, so it's an honoring of that universality of uh, that faith, that tradition. So we're making the claim that this is the fullness of the faith as bestowed uh, by Christ upon the world, as handed down to us from the apostles, um, and that it's shared not only across time, but across space. So um, across the planet, around the globe. Uh, so uh, yeah, the word Catholic means universal. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting when I learned that because growing up in a Protestant background, hearing the word Catholic had a connotation of exclusivity. Mm, um, yeah. Like Catholic as in not the kind of Christian that all of you people are. Yeah. Um, but to learn more about when that term was uh, start, started to be used and what it actually means, um, it reminds me of an, another item on our list here about what it means to be Catholic, um, about the ecumenical councils and the representation Mm. from all parts of the church and all the different parts of the world. Um, and that initially before there was an alternative, you know, the Catholic church was, was all the church, like the things that are represented when everybody's present. Right. Yeah. And so for us, that's one of the the hallmarks of Catholicity, um, which is why we as old Catholics believe there are only seven ecumenical councils. Um, so we don't honor, you know, Vatican I or Vatican II um, as an ecumenical council. Um, Pope Francis could call a council tomorrow, and unless the entire church in all of its Catholic expression is present and voting actively, um, that's not an ecumenical council because that's not the church universal. That's not the, f- the faith in its totality. Um, and so since the big split of the church, you know, between East and West— um, we haven't. We do not believe we've had an ecumenical council because the Catholic Church has not gathered in her fullness um, in order to rule on things like dogma. And when you say that everybody has to be present, you mean like a res- representative from every right, area, yeah. every group, every geographic region, not like every single person. Right. Yeah. No. In a conciliar way. So uh, church is sending their bishops, you know, archbishops and. Uh, metropolitans and across all all of Christendom, what we would consider all of the Catholic expressions um, of the faith, which includes not only Roman Catholicism, but Eastern Catholicism and uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and Old Catholicism, and uh, to a certain extent, even some, you know, Anglicans who would identify um, as being fully Catholic. Anglo-Catholics, I think, would need to be invited to that. So, so when we say universal, we mean universal. And mm-hmm. so uh, we do uh, understand that in a much more inclusive way. Uh, there is one body, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, and that includes all of Christians across all time and across all space. So. Mm-hmm. 
feel like we're talking a lot and leaving you out, Josh. Did you have anything to to add about any of that? Or <laughs> no, I think you guys covered it. You're staring uh, me down, like don't put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think your point about the because uh, uh, I had the same uh, perspective. The point about the Catholic feeling exclusive, mm-hmm. um, but it actually meaning something more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. the way that we approach Catholicism here at St. Jerome really embodies that um, in a, uh, in a, I don't know, kind of a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the whole idea of all sacraments for all people, I think, mm-hmm. embodies um, Catholicism in its uh, truest form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of sacraments, that's another thing. Yeah. That is, uh, you know, just like a little important <laughs> to Catholics. We we're into our sacraments. <laughs> and just like all Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Catholic, Roman Catholic, um, Episcopalians, um, we have seven sacraments. You know, we keep all uh, seven sacraments of the church. And that is one of the things, the defining characteristics um, of that Catholic tradition is that we've maintained those sacraments from the very earliest days of the church to the present. Um, and that they are really the center of our life, our worship um, as Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you think that would be a, no, I guess if we're thinking about what makes somebody Catholic as opposed to say Protestant or Mm -hmm. Orthodox or something like that, what are the defining characteristics of what makes a person Catholic? Yeah. So for, for us, it's falling into the apostolic tradition um, and falling into that apostolic tradition um, takes shape in a variety of ways. Um, so when it comes to, um, for instance, our theology, um, it would mean falling into line with the dogmas as articulated by those seven ecumenical councils. So the Church Catholic is that community which adheres to that dogma as inherited as the deposit of faith from the universal church. So dogmatically and theologically, it means falling into line with those uh, seven ecumenical councils. Um, As far as our worship, it's rooted in the sacraments, those um, means of grace that we celebrate from womb to tomb, which we discussed in a previous episode. It also means falling into line with the order of the church um, in both its liturgical and structural ways. Uh, Liturgically speaking is the Mass, with some slight regional variations and variations across time and space, is still fundamentally the same Mass that we have in the earliest documents of the Church. And so continuing to worship in such a way, um, within and through those sacraments, that falls into line with uh, the worship of the early Church. Um, and then in addition to that, having the order of the Church uh, being governed uh, by con- in a conciliar way by the College of Bishops, by those those who have inherited that apostolic authority, that teaching office. Um, that order also takes shape in the parish of, of maintaining that the necessity of having bishops, priests, and deacons. Um, also, I think our, our Marian theology is, is another thing that makes us Catholic. And that's kind of a broad overview that we can kind of hit you know, more mm-hmm. on, on specifics. But those are some of the primary things that I think you know, bring us fully into line with that, that Catholic tradition. Mm-hmm. When you were asking, Josh, uh, you know, being on a podcast and everybody else but me is named Josh. <laughs> this is not particularly easy. Josh <laughs> Beck, my husband, Josh. When you were asking um, what makes a person Catholic, do you mean a person or do you mean a community, a church, that sort of thing? 
I meant a person, okay. but I think that the question would apply. I, I, I would wonder about a community as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, because when, when you were speaking about that, Josh, the, Josh to my right, Father Josh, <laughs> um, about the, like, falling in line with these different dogmas and beliefs and things like that. Um, I mean, certainly, like, the, the church or the community would, um, you know, endorse those beliefs, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but one thing that we have talked about before is that not necessarily every individual Catholic person is going to be like, oh yeah, I feel confident in this teaching that the church has had, but that ultimately like my own personal opinion on a topic is maybe not the end all be all. And like overall Mm -hmm. I am like, and that it may shift over time and yeah. And, and, and like overall I'm submitting to the faith of the community and the, the leadership of that community, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we do at every Sunday mass and every uh, day of obligation, every solemnity is we recite the creed um, as part of, of our mass, which is a really nice summary of that dogmatic faith uh, bestowed, the deposit of faith bestowed, of, bestowed upon the church um, gifted, you know, through the apostolic councils. Um, <clears throat> when I talk with people and counsel them as if they're wrestling with certain um, lines or ideas in that, um, I like to remind them that um, what you're confessing is the faith of the church, um, which you may or may not fully grasp. You may um, or may wrestle with, you know, different articles within that that confession, within that creed. Um, but we're standing up to say together that regardless of where I am, what I understand, even what I believe, this is what we believe as Catholics. This is our faith. Um, and so in many ways, the goal is, of course, every Sunday to stand up and say it with conviction. But I think there's merit. I think there's grace in standing up and saying, even if I don't understand it, even if there, even if I may disagree with the line here or there, um, I am submitting to this apostolic tradition as normative and authoritative um, in my life. Um, and so... It's one of those times when just actually going through the motions is actually a means of grace um, because you're acknowledging that even regardless of where I am and the thoughts that I have between my ears at this exact moment, um, the faith of the church is the faith of the church, and I affirm that faith mm-hmm. even when I don't understand it, even when I may not be able to at this moment in my life fully agree. It's In, in that way, it seems like it's often the practices that we engage in in our Catholic life are emphasized more mm-hmm. than maybe in other faith traditions as opposed to just yeah signing off on a on a list of beliefs. Yeah, we don't do doctrinal statements, you know. We're um, very limited on the dogma that we expect, you know, from the community of faith. Um, but along with that orthodoxy, there's something called orthopraxies. Um, which is an acknowledgement that what we do as a community of faith, how we worship, participating in the life of the sacraments is at, at least as important as our doctrinal dogmatic beliefs, the thoughts that we have um, in our head. And I think we constantly in our rationalistic age and in, in, you know, a Protestant America where one's faith is primarily what they believe Um, I think it's good for us to remember that our doctrines, our dogmas emerged from the life and worship and sacraments of the Christian community. And so we value that orthopraxy in a huge way. 
Um, so we don't stop someone at the door, you know, uh, if they can't sign on to the dogmatic articles right away, because we believe that life in community, living and moving and breathing in the Catholic Church, participating in the sacraments, can draw you into that Catholic faith and that tradition, I mean, help you to understand those dogmas and doctrines in ways that you would not have been able to understand before, uh, what the Church calls mystagogical catechesis. Um, kind of absorb. Can you run that bias yeah. one more time? <laughs> so, being inducted into the mysteries of the church. Mystagogical. Mystagogical catechesis. catechesis. Learning okay. the faith through immersion. Yeah. Through participation in the life and witness of the church and in her sacraments. Um, yeah. So, rather than setting down and studying Thomas Aquinas, as much as I love to do that, and his treatise on transubstantiation, the best way to come to believe and understand transubstantiation is to experience it in the Mass. Mm-hmm. And so the focus is on, yes, the Church teaches transubstantiation. Um, you may or may not understand that now, but you can experience it. You can know it. You can come to realize it um, even before you even know what that word means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mystagogical catechesis is going um, about understanding and teaching the faith through orthopraxis, through the life and witness of the Church as celebrated in her seven sacraments and in community. Yeah. There is so much to what you said there uh, when it comes to the uh, theology arising out of the practice. Mm. Um, because I think that that is just a historical truth. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's, yeah. A, it's a practical truth in that that is the, one of the best ways to teach is through practice um, and experience, that kind of thing. But also in church history, uh, so much of our theology arose through the church just doing it and then coming to realize, well, we're worshiping in this way. How do we make sense of that? Yeah. yeah. Um, what is that Finding mean? terminology to describe the thing that they yeah. were already yeah. doing. Cause it, and we even have an example in Acts of uh, the inclusion of the Gentiles um, because uh, there was the, you know, the whole uh, controversy with the Jerusalem church and the Jerusalem mm-hmm. council, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter's argument when he was arguing for the inclusion of the Gentiles was that he has seen the spirit fall on them. Right. It was an experience that he's like, they're, they're worshiping Christ. In. They're in. Yeah. And so our theology they're part is, of the Christian community. Yeah. They're yeah. part of it. So you we just have to acknowledge not. that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we need to make our theology fit the experience that um, uh, is right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just how theology has to be done. Yeah. Um, it has to be done with experience um, informing it um, and not, trying to take our ideas and uh, put them onto the experience and mold the experience around it. And one of the things I love about Catholicism and the fact that we, you know, claim this universality and focus so much on it is it's not even just my experience. It's our experience as a community. Um, It's not even just St. Jerome's experience. Um, It's this independent Catholic movement across continents and across centuries um, and so we really try and reach as far as we can um, in that experience across time and space, you know, um, in order to, to make that richer and fuller, trusting that what we may misunderstand here, they may not misunderstand in Jerusalem. And what they misunderstand in Jerusalem or may struggle with, uh, they might really have a grasp on in Rome. Um, and trusting that through that universality, um, through that... You know, Catholicos, uh, we reach a fuller, greater, 
more experiential understanding of the truth of what God is and has and is doing uh, mm-hmm. in the world through the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes so much sense when you think about the Christian story as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, God revealed himself through uh, a person, yeah. <laughs> through experience, through yeah. um, becoming human and living a human life. Um, and our theology comes out of that. It comes out mm-hmm. of the life of Christ. Um, and uh, I mean, if God is going to work that way in his very nature, um, then of course that's the way that theology is going to and should work mm-hmm. in the uh, incarnate practices of the church. Um, and so, I don't know, I, I think that that is uh, something that makes Catholicism, I don't know, stand out, I guess, um, and uh, is a, a staple of Catholicism, is its emphasis on practice mm-hmm. and the incarnate nature of the faith. And those practices are rooted in community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing that I that I really value about Catholicism. It's deeply personal, but it is also highly communal. Um, yep. It's not just you and Jesus and reading you your Bible at home. It. You can't be Catholic on your own. Um, so it involves the community, and that community um, stretches across time and space. Mm-hmm. I think the sacraments, which are um, a defining characteristic of uh, what it means to be Catholic, exemplify all of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they are all embodied um, they're all uh, practices of, ki- of some kind that have all kinds of theological meaning, and mm-hmm. you can't do them on your own. Right. Um, right. You have to be a part of a community in order to experience the sacraments. Yeah. Yep. Somewhat related to, like, the community and the, the sacraments. It makes me think of the, the Mass and the liturgical year and how, how that is shaped, like, throughout the year. What You know, what that looks like, what our Mass looks like, and that sort of thing. And that, that's definitely a, a distinction between Catholic and Protestant. Yeah. So we have a very cyclical understanding um, of time in the Catholic tradition. Um, and that's, you know, that's from the old world, you know, even indigenous cultures have a very cyclical understanding of time. Um, and it's rooted in, I think, you know, the agricultural year, you know, which animated the, the Hebraic uh, can calendar of Israel, of, of Judaism, and we inherited that from them. I mean, our calendar is very cyclical. We go, um, just as we have sacraments from womb to tomb, uh, our liturgical year follows all of the major events in the life of Christ, um, Advent and anticipating his coming. We have Christmas, uh, followed by Epiphany, his light pouring into the world. Um, we have ordinary time where we hear about the teachings and the growth of the kingdom of God. We have uh, Lent, which prepares us for um, the Paschal mystery that we experience in Holy Week and Easter. We have the coming, uh, the ascension and the, the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and, and all the way to the very last Sunday of the church here with the reigning of Christ at the end of time and space um, as king of, of the universe, king of all creation. And so every year we get to, in this color-coded way, work our way through the life of Christ from you know the uh, time before his incarnation all the way to the end of time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, where he rules as king. Um, and so it's a really powerful way for us to, again, over and over, year after year, live into the mystery of Christ as the body of Christ. Um, and we're very devoted to that. And within that overarching liturgical cycle, we have all of these feasts and fasts and all of these saint days that just further immerse us 
and the life and, and mystery of the gospel as it's taught and experienced uh, by the church Catholic. It's really quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love the church here. I know you do. The, That's uh, why I'm looking at you like this. Yeah. <laughs> the liturgical calendar, I just think, is uh, a wonderful um, tool for uh, the Christian life, mm. helping us to uh, live out what it means to be Christian, reminding us that the point of the Christian life is to um, participate in the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it follows the, the story of Christ himself and uh, reminding us of that every every year, I think is really important. I, I think we need those reminders mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we need those changes of pace. We need that ordinary time where mm-hmm. we uh, experience the mundane of life. We mm-hmm. need Advent where we're looking forward to the future. We need Lent and remembering um, uh, that we are dust. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need uh, Easter and celebration of a resurrection. Uh, we need all of those things. And so having those built into the church year just um, uh, helps us to live that out in a way that uh, I think is refreshing and um, enriching mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. The, uh, the Christian life. Yeah, Um, Yeah, and you say live that out, that's so relevant because this liturgical year and our liturgical calendar leads to a liturgical life Mm -hmm. Um, because you really begin to understand not only, you know, space is being sanctifiable, but time itself then becomes a mechanism for for the spreading of the gospel. Um, And we begin to take those embodied liturgical experiences out into our life, and then all of a sudden... Lent feels very different driving in your car than does Easter or Advent. Or mm-hmm. uh, the season of Pentecost when you're at work can become a different experience um, than was Christ, you know, Christmas or ordinary time. Um, and mm-hmm. so it leads to the sanctification of time outside of you know, the church proper mm-hmm. um, in our lives. Yeah, you end up living a liturgical life, which can be challenging and enriching, and, uh, but it is a beautiful thing. Yeah, the rhythms of the liturgical year are comforting, I think. And mm-hmm. I think that having a time for everything, like you talked about, um, is something that people are built for. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. This, is, we, this is what we need. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think it's helpful to have a set time <laughs> to mourn, a set time to celebrate, a mm-hmm. set time mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. look forward to the future, all of those things. Um, Cause I think we can often without that just kind of get lost in the everyday and never take those moments to do any of those things Yeah, <laughs> to mourn the way that we need to mourn or yeah. to celebrate yeah. the, the way that we need to celebrate. Yeah. Or to be quiet and wait. I think it teaches us to kind of embrace the full span of human experience. Um, yeah. What, whereas our culture you know, teaches us to never think about death and sickness and illness or suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, many traditions jump straight from uh, into Easter, you know, without mm-hmm. uh, Good Friday. And for us, we really try and slow down and, and in a very intentional way, uh, enjoy and find meaning in every stage uh, of the process. Yep. Right. Well, another one, another item on our list of um, Catholic things would be saints, mm-hmm. I think. That would be something yeah. to talk about. Yeah, that great communion of saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we always joke and say, yeah, not even death gets you out of work as a mm-hmm. Catholic. 
Yeah. Um, for us, death is a doorway, not a wall. Um, and so we believe that the great communion of saints uh, not only uh, extends across space here on earth, but the church exists across time as well. And that's part of that universality, the, the Catholicness um, of, the, of our faith. I mean, it really is rooted in this notion that, that the church exists in three distinct states, the pilgrim church on earth, um, the church triumphant in heaven, um, and the church expectant in purgatory. Um, and so that the, the church is manifest in, in uh, those three kind of means, but it is fundamentally part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so uh, not only do we believe uh, that saints can teach us by their example um, and inspire us through their words or holy lives, um, but that they continue to be an active, prayerful presence in, with, and through the church. And so we have this calendar of saints that we observe every year um, with all of those feast days, um, and we beg their intercession. Uh, we look to them for guidance. We look to them um, to be inspired um, in order to help us live our Christian life uh, in our time and place, um, trusting that who better to follow than those who have, who have gone before. Mm-hmm. There's a common misunderstanding that um, Catholics pray to the saints. Um, how is that a misunderstanding? Yeah, there's, di- there's a difference between praying to and requesting somebody to pray for you. Um, so, for instance, if I were to go to Sam and say, um, Sam is a, as a psychiatrist, I'm wrestling with depression. Who better to pray for me than somebody who knows the ins and outs of depression and the various struggles that are involved with any mental health crisis or issue than somebody who does that professionally? And so um, I feel like Sam would be a really great person to pray for me with that or to go um, to someone who's a mother of 10 children and say, you know, um, I'm really struggling in, in, you know, my relationship with my children. If I had children, um, who better to pray for me than someone who's been in that position, who knows um, that struggle? Um, so we're not praying to the saints. We're asking the saints to pray for and with us. Um, and so in the same way that I would ask Dr. Sam here to, to <laughs> pray for me about, you know, an area of specialty that she has, um, there are saints who, because of their life, because of their experience, know what it means to struggle or to, to be in a particular type of need. Um, and so we're asking those people, trusting that neither, you know, nothing can separate them from the love of God. Um, nothing separates them from the church, trusting um, that their intercession, their prayer for us is powerful mm-hmm. um, because they know better than anyone how to pray for us, how to intercede, um, especially at those times when we may not have the words, mm-hmm. trusting mm-hmm. that God hears their prayers. Mm-hmm. As somebody who's... Um, really uh, interested in ethics and that kind of thing. Um, I think that there is a really important moral uh, formation mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. to the communion of the saints. Absolutely. In that they provide all kinds of great examples for people to look to in how do we live the Christian life? Because mm-hmm. um, we all want to follow Christ. Right. Um, right. But Christ is only one person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so what does that look and like? How to does that look Christ? in all of these different yeah. contexts? Right? Yeah. And so we're yeah. able to look to the saints as examples in all kinds of varieties of contexts mm-hmm. of this is what it looked like to live like Christ in this context. Um, and so we can have those examples and then live like the saints. Right. Um, Paul right. 
told his, uh, you know, the readers of his letters, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do that with the saints. We can follow mm-hmm. the saints as the saints followed Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a particular example of that, um, that has been just kind of a personal story. Um, I have a necklace of metal, um, for, um, my patron saint, Jean-Baptiste de La Salle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the patron saint of teachers, um, and he believed very strongly in the dignity of all humans um, and the uh, presence of God in every single moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. I wear this necklace to remind me of those things. Um, that's something that he lived out very well um, through his teaching and his teaching other people how to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a teacher myself, believing in the dignity of every one of my students, um, I think is a a, a really important thing and remind, remembering the presence of Christ in every single moment as I'm teaching, as mm-hmm. I'm living my life is a really uh, important thing. So having that as a constant reminder, I mean, I could carry a cross, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a cross on this too. Um, and that is an important reminder as well, but that's a more specific applicable to my own particular life right, right. kind of example that right. I think has been really helpful. And um, it's been beneficial as I've gone in my day to day and, you know, going to get a haircut or something Mm -hmm. and, um, noticing the necklace around my neck and thinking I need to remember the dignity of every person as I walk into this, uh, to this, uh, get this haircut that the person that is cutting my hair matters. Even if I'm never going to talk to them again, I need to think like De La Salle Mm -hmm. (laughs) and remember that this person matters. And in that way, the, the communion becomes the call, right? Yeah. Um, because it's through asking for their intercession, it's through honoring their unique example that we receive our call in our context to join that great communion of saints, to live that saintly life. Um, And so, yeah, in a very real way, that communion of saints through everything you just talked about is calling you to live sainthood in your life Mm -hmm. and acknowledging your place within the communion of saints which is, I think, sometimes something we forget to talk about in the communion of saints. Mm. It's always those who have died or those who are really holy or those who were exemplars in a variety of ways. But that communion of saints does include us. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that communion is a, is a call. Mm-hmm. Right. It's good. Closely related to the, at least in my mind, to the idea that we have like the reverence for the saints and, and incorporating them into our lives would be the... I think the regard that we have for Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, that is a kind of a, a, a serious component of Catholic spirituality is devotion uh, for the Blessed Mother of God. Uh, she's mentioned in our creeds. We have feast days devoted to her. Um, there are teachings about her that have been dogmatized, that the Ecumenical Council stated very clearly um, about who Mary is and 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 her continued role in the salvific work of the church, um, honoring her role in scripture and, and in history, but also believing that through that example, uh, through that intercession, she continues to be uh, full of grace and a means of grace uh, for, for the, the Catholic community. Uh, we take that very seriously in an understanding of Jesus on the cross, um, looking at John and saying, behold your mother, and and mother, behold your son. We believe at that moment um, she became the mother of the church as well. And so uh, we take her role um, 
and our life very seriously and believe her to continue to be, through her example and intercession, um, her most powerful intercession, um, you know, at work in the church today. And so I would say that it's one thing that does pretty significantly distinguish us uh, from other other Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned in the last episode all of your Mary stuff in this oh, office. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. So I haven't you, pared it down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we recorded that episode five minutes ago. <laughs> um, do you worship Mary? I think we honor Mary. Okay. Um, but worship is reserved for God alone uh, in the tr- you know, triune manifestation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we worship God, we honor Mary and the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while we, while we believe um, she is the first and finest of all Christians, um, she is still created. Um, the grace that, that fills her is the grace of her Son. Um, and so we, we worship only God, and the grace and the power and the intercession and the honor that we bestow on Mary um, is, is from God. Um, and so uh, one of the ways that we kind of visually represent that is she's so often depicted as standing uh, on the moon. Um, and so that's an artistic representation. Um, the moon doesn't actually uh, produce any light itself. It just reflects the light of the sun. Um, and so in the same way, Mary doesn't produce grace herself. She's just a beautiful, perhaps the best expression of what a grace-filled life um, looks like reflecting the grace, manifesting the grace of her son. Um, and so, yeah, worship God, honor Mary and the saints. Yeah. I ask that because mm-hmm. that's a, another common misconception of Catholicism. And uh, having become Catholic myself and experiencing um, what, uh, I don't know, I guess the practices of Marian devotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I've come to realize how much of a misconception that is. Yeah. Because all of those practices of Marian devotion are all pointing to Christ. Right. Um, Mary is a way to Christ. Right. Yeah. Even the Marian dogmas, when we're talking about Mary, what we're really talking about about is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, So all Marian theology, all Marian devotion um, should point us to Christ. And if it doesn't, it's not true Marian devotion or sound Marian theology. Um, I like to even point out the rosary, which we say Hail Marys over and over and, and over again. Um, but the rosary is the gospel you can carry in your pocket. The mysteries are literally the life of Christ from his birth all the way um, to his ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Um, with the exception of two mysteries, all of the mysteries are, are, are all of the, see how many are there now, 20 mysteries. 18 of them are about the life of Christ. Um, as revealed to us in Scripture. Um, so all true Marian teaching and devotion and theology um, and all Marian practices are actually, they reflect the light of the sun. The moon itself does not produce any light. Yeah. I don't want to rush us along from Mary too quickly because I know this is a <laughs> important and favored topic. Um, <laughs> we'll cover Mary later, right? Is that we on have... the list? I, I feel like we're going to have to. I'm good. Good, good, good. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Because then we can get into the dogmas and yeah. the development yeah, of all yeah, those yeah. traditions and Mary's unique role in the church and typologies yeah. and all of those things that 
That's suffering so. and Mary. Suffering Those are the two we added to the list. I'm going list. to force us to talk about suffering. Awesome. And you're going to force us to talk about Mary. Perfect. I like it. So it's going to have to happen. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more thing about Mary before okay. we go on. In addition to um, everything that we say about Mary is really saying something about Christ. Um, everything that we teach about the life of Mary um, reveals something that's going to happen in the life of the church. Um, and so, you know, like Mary's uh, Immaculate Conception um, is really testifying about that she received a singular grace from her son that we will someday too receive. Uh, Mary's assumption prefigures our resurrection and being taken up body and soul uh, into heaven. And so in a way, uh, not only does she reflect the light of her son, she prefigures the graces that the church itself is going to receive in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Mary's okay. cool. We love her. <laughs> we love <laughs> yes. her so much. Yes. We love mom. Oh. Yeah. Um, do, does anybody have anything else we need to talk about? Catholic wise, Catholicness. Yeah. Anything. Um, I think one of the things that makes St. Jerome's different um, is uh, while we honor uh, the Pope as um, the See of Peter and the first uh, among equals as bishop, our, Catholic, our Catholicity is not rooted uh, in the Pope. Uh, for Roman Catholics, to be Catholic means you are in communion with one person, um, the Pope. And mm-hmm. for us, uh, we do not hold that, that theology, that belief. In fact, uh, that emerged really in the wake of Vatican I, um, which is one of the things that kind of pushed old Catholics as a group to separate from Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is one thing that is different uh, from other, uh, at least the, the Roman Catholic tradition, is that our Catholicity is not uh, about our relationship um, with the Pope. It's about our relationship with Christ. Um, it is Christ who makes us Catholic. Um, it is gathering around the sacraments with our bishop. It is being in line with that apostolic tradition, um, that apostolic authority across a time and space. It's those things uh, that make us Catholic. And so mm-hmm. uh, while we honor the Pope, I'm particularly fond of this one, Pope Frank's great. We like him a lot. Um, he is not the determiner of, or the term, determiner of Catholicity, um, but in all of these other things, the sacraments, apostolic succession, um, church order, uh, fidelity to the dogmatic pronouncements of the, second, of the seven ecumenical councils. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that make us Catholic. The Eucharist, the sacraments, those things make us Catholic. Did you say Pope Frank? Pope Frank, yeah. <laughs> Frank is like a shorthand for Francis, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. They're buddies. Yeah. Me, has, me and Pope Frank. got him on speed dial. Good old Frank. That's right. Yeah. Good old Had Frank. lunch today. <laughs> Flew over they to text. the Vatican. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of wondering, um, for both of you, why are you Catholic, personally? We'll start with you, Josh. You have to go first because you're the priest. Yeah, I'm kind of a professional Catholic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So why are you Catholic? I'm Catholic because the Catholic faith has brought me to Christ in a way that I feel no other faith tradition could do. Um, it gives me a structure and a meaning to my life. It connects me with um, the truth as I feel like the Holy Spirit has revealed it to the church universal. Um and through the sacraments, it sanctifies me and draws me closer uh, into that Trinitarian life that is the goal uh, of life as we know it. Um, 
And so for me, the richness of the sacraments, the depth and meaning of the liturgical year, um, the theological pronouncements of, of the ecumenical councils, um, Catholic spirituality and prayer, these things enrich my life and give it meaning and substance and draw me to Christ in a way that I personally feel no other faith tradition has done for me or can do um, for me. So it's, you know, we talk about the Eucharist as the source and summit um, of our life as Christians for me. I'm not sure who I would be or, or what my life would be apart from Catholicism at this point. It's so embedded in my, in the way that I think and the way that I live and the way that I pray in my relationship with God and with others and my deepest, truest selves. Um, yeah, it's, it's become everything to me in, in a way that I'm not sure any other faith tradition um, could do. Mm-hmm. I find Christ in Catholicism. That's why I'm Catholic. That's a good answer. Leave it to the priest. Yeah. The answer was Jesus. <laughs> like Karl Barth said, the answer is Jesus. What's the question? So. Um, okay, I'm going to go what next so you? that you can't steal my answer. We talked about this. Yeah. Um, I think that in a lot of different ways, the um, Catholic church and community um, was an answer to a lot of questions or or issues that I had that I didn't realize I had until mm-hmm. we started coming to Catholic mm-hmm. Church. Um, like, I appreciate so much the emphasis on community because, mm-hmm. like, like we talked about in um, one of the earlier episodes, I feel deeply that our community is broken. Mm-hmm. And so the individualism that you find in a lot of other traditions just seems like it perpetuates that brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um but within the Catholic community, like wait, when you were answering earlier, Josh, and you said the Holy Spirit has revealed the truth to the church, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if this was an exercise where we fill in the blank, so many other places, the answer would be the Holy Spirit has revealed the truth to me, mm. um, mm-hmm. which just does not seem the same. Um, I really appreciate the rhythms of the liturgical year. I think that that is something that is soothing and comforting and a breath of fresh air and that you can't do outside of that community. Like Mm -hmm. you, you can't put yourself in the liturgical calendar on your own. Um, I really appreciate how embodied the sacraments are. Um, the emphasis on the practical aspects of faith and not just the things that we think about it. Like within Catholicism, my faith is a thing that I live, not a thing that I believe. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so with that combined with like, de-emphasizing the individualism you you are so much i am so much less prone to find myself just sitting there hyper analyzing every single thing that i think or every opinion Mm. that is said or Mm. because it's not that's not the point the point is about the thing that we're doing here together when we started coming to uh the to the mass here it's like if you if you turn a padlock and once you've hit all the numbers correctly you hear it click like all Mm. the all -hmm. the pieces fall into place Catholicism felt like that. Like it felt like a thing that I already knew, but didn't actually quite know yet until Mm. we got here. That's beautiful. That's going in our pamphlet. Joshua, (laughs) Joshua put that on the website. Okay. (laughs) You can transcribe it. We'll have a recording. (laughs) Oh man. That that was a very good answer. Mm -hmm. Good luck following that. 
Oh, my answer is Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and that was no, my answer. No, you have to give a longer answer than Jesus. You started this. <laughs> I don't... There's so much to it. Um, I have lots of theological reasons for being Catholic, um, some personal reasons for being Catholic. Um, but uh, I don't know. I guess it feels like it is the logical conclusion to the path that my life has taken. Hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like what you were talking about with the pieces just fitting into place. Um, I grew up Pentecostal um, in a Pentecostal church. Um, very charismatic, all the speaking in tongues and um, that kind of thing. Um, and there are certain aspects to Pentecostalism that I really value. Mm-hmm. Um in particular, the emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit in the individual Christian's life mm. from day to day. Um, our reliance on the Holy Spirit, I think, is, is really important. Um, and the emphasis on the spiritual life in general, I mm-hmm. think, is really important. Um, but there are lots of aspects of Pentecostalism that just never fit with me. Um, and so I kind of went on a journey away from that over many years um, and found more liturgical um, churches and that kind of thing. And then started falling in love with liturgy in general, the church calendar and um, especially communion every week, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we landed here at St. Jerome with the mass, um, I feel like it brings together all of those things in a really beautiful way. Um, it is liturgical in a grounded historical way that, um, I mean, the mass is just, it's rooted in history. It's mm-hmm. something that the church has been doing for years and years and years <laughs> and has been developing since the, the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so there's that aspect of it, but then also there is the emphasis on the spiritual life, right. um, and on the spiritual world mm-hmm. in general. I think the sacramentality of, Catholicism emphasizes that, that we are not just material beings and we don't live in a merely material world, but Mm -hmm. there is a spirit to all things. um, And uh, we are meant to participate in all of that. Um, But so much of what uh, Pentecostalism did was take that spiritual stuff and um, uh, separate it away from the material. Mm. Um, and brought it into uh, mere language or the way that we think about things and the way that we believe about things. Um, But Catholicism takes that spiritual emphasis and incarnates it um, into an embodied life Mm. and Mm. embodied practices. Um, And so, really, I am Catholic because I believe wholeheartedly in an incarnational faith. Mm. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in the sacraments. Um, and I find so much beauty in um, the sacraments and the mass. Um, and it's something that I have, um, I don't know, I've gotten to a point where I have, a, I don't know that I would be able to live without it. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, going to mass is just something that if I'm, if I'm not able to go, it's something that I, I miss deep inside of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've become uh, reliant on that grace um, that comes from the Eucharist. So, I don't know, that's a, that was long-winded, but believe it or not, a very short answer yeah, <laughs> to yeah. why I'm Catholic, because there's so much that goes into it. Um, I also, I mean, in addition to the incarnational aspect of it, 
I appreciate the emphasis on the kinghood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, I don't know, the fact that we bow all the time and recognize that Christ's presence is there and mm. all of that stuff. Um, I, I mean, there's so much to it. I just think it's... it's Can I ask a question? I know I'm not the host. I'll let you. Will you let I'll me, Sam? I'll pass the baton this Thanks, one Dr. time. Sam. Um, I'll give you permission. You know, you're both converts, fairly recent converts. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Josh in... Uh, seminary and uh, at our, our Protestant seminary of all places, mm-hmm. um, and then got to got to meet Sam. And um, at one point, did you decide I'm going to become Catholic? Was mm-hmm. there any moment or any final thing that that pushed you, you know, into making the leap from your previous faith tradition to this one? I'm always curious about. Yeah, was there a moment when you were like, ah? Uh, you talked about the click. Was there a, a moment when it clicked or did it just evolve naturally over time? Do you want to go first since I went first last time? Uh, sure. It was a very long process for me, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and just a little bit step by step. Um, I loved the, I mean, the moment that we came, I loved the mass and all of that, but I had a hard time given my, uh, history claiming the, uh, title Catholic, mm. like mm-hmm. saying that I am Catholic is something yeah. that you're coming been, out as a Catholic. Yeah. has <laughs> <Right. laughs> been a, that has been a process. Um, but I think that that came from thinking about what we've talked about in this episode of mm. what does it mean to be what Catholic? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and after giving that some thought and coming to the conclusion that, um, I guess in my view, I think what it means to be Catholic is to commit yourself to the sacraments, um, mm. and live out that, um, sacramental life. And um, that is something that I just came to the conclusion that that's what, that's the kind of faith that I believe in. That's an incarnational faith. That's the Jesus that I believe in. That's mm-hmm. the life that I, can, that I want to live. Um, and uh, I, I, there's no other name for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's Catholic. Yeah. And so I guess I'm Catholic. Yeah. I um, didn't have the, the resistance to it, I guess. Um, because of my background, my mom's whole side of the family is Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep doing this with my hand where it like makes a clapping sound. So sorry about that, Josh, when you <laughs> edit. Um, I think there was not a specific time where I said, okay, I'm going to become Catholic. It was more so like after being um, so immersed in it that I just kind of looked up and realized it had happened. Uh, yeah. Um, particularly like the next time that we went to Protestant church after that. And I mm. called it, first of all, I called it Protestant church, which I never would have called <laughs> yeah. it before. It's a huge it indicator <laughs> that a shift has occurred. <laughs> yeah. And then secondly, it just didn't feel like it fit anymore. Mm, like, yeah. not that there's anything wrong with it or, of course. Yeah, you know, of it course. works for people. It's just not what I'm looking for. Yeah. That was funny. I remember that. We were that, in the car. Yeah, we were in the car. Was it on the way from? It was leaving church. Yeah. We were on the way from in, the, in the car leaving And you said church. that. You and referred like, to it as Protestant church. And I was Protestant like, that, church. Not Protestant church. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask one more question. I'm ready. If, if that's okay. I didn't. Really I did not prepare the them for this, by the way. <laughs> you can't see it. There's fear in the eyes here. No. Um, for anyone out there listening who may not be Catholic but may be considering um, becoming Catholic or, uh, you know, considering joining the parish church of St. Jerome. Um, what advice do you have for them as they're working through and engaging their spiritual journey? Um, but that could potentially 
like Josh said, inevitably, or, and Sam said in retrospect, just happen. Um, what advice, guidance, encouragement would you have for those, those individuals being recent converts yourself? I think trying out a lot of different kinds of church can be helpful. We meandered through various mm. iterations of church before we came yeah, here. That's good advice. Um, so I th- just seeing what's out there because what you know it's hard to know what what that type of church is going to be like if you haven't been to one before, um, mm. or maybe if you haven't been to like a couple because they're not all the same. Um, and give yourself time. Like it's not going to be an immediate process probably, and. As far as, like, people who might be in the area, I think coming to St. Jerome's is very easy. Like, open and welcoming, and most people here are converts, so nobody knows. First of all, even right now, mm-hmm. a lot of us don't know what we're doing mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Like, yeah. I, I can go through the map. Like, I can do it as we go, but I cannot explain it to anybody because I don't know what we did. Sure. <laughs> like, I don't, sure. I don't know the structure. Um, and that's fine. Like, that's, that's most of us. Right. Everybody right. All here was new. Yeah. Um, just about to Catholicism and it people are going to be very understanding and helpful and excited that you uh, exist, <laughs> not yeah. not like, you know, offended if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I will say it is a very visitor friendly parish um, oh, yeah. because there are so many converts, overwhelmingly yeah. uh, converts. And I because of that, I try and I do a, a lot of, uh, I guess, traffic directing. You yeah. know, please stand, please kneel. I invite you to, to do this. I invite you to do that. So hopefully right. that helps. Yep. To offset. Yeah. yeah. I think all that's good. I would say that if this the stuff that we talked about in this episode appeals to you, then um, you may have a Catholic imagination, and so mm-hmm. you should give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say um, commit to it for a while. Mm. Um, it's going to, if you're not used to Catholicism, it's going to seem, masses in particular, it's going to seem weird for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that's just, it's just a reality. It's weird. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Um, but over time, what I came to realize was that that weirdness became um, vital to my life. Mm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It was like, I, I don't know. I came to, to a point where it was no longer weird. It was needed. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that could, I mean, I would expect that to happen to anybody um, who gives it some time. Um, but it for sure the first few weeks it's going to be, it's going to be weird, especially since you don't really know what's going on and mm-hmm. everybody's talking and, you know, you don't know when you're supposed to talk. Somebody yeah. else is supposed to talk. Are we singing it this time? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would just say, and right when you get used to it, it changes slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that yeah. calendar. Yeah. And if you uh, have any questions, always feel free to, you know, ask whoever the priest is at the parish you're visiting. If you're here, we would mm-hmm. love to talk to you yeah. um, and answer any questions you have. Um, so mm-hmm. and take you out for that eighth sacrament. Yes. That's right. We do, we do lunch in a big way Yeah, <laughs> every Sunday after yeah. we do. What you were talking about, um, Josh reminds me of really any meditative practice. Cause I find the mass to be very you know, meditative, but when that's not mm-hmm. something that you're used to or in the practice of doing, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel a little bit restless. Like, and, and while you're learning what the mass is, like I felt like it was like wearing, like breaking in a new pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Like it just didn't mm-hmm. quite fit right for a while. Mm-hmm. Even though I described my like attraction to Catholicism as like everything just clicked. That's like the attitudes, the perspectives, the, mm-hmm. the values. But like sitting through the mass took a while to feel like, like the shoe had been broken in. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of became yours. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Cool. Catholics, man. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you done with your questions? I think so. Okay, well, I was just sitting here ready. I was Good. Uh, I was that's that's all I got. Okay. I'm hungry. Oh, same. Okay. Well, hungry. We're going to go get queso, guys. I've got 30 minutes before I get real cranky. <laughs> <laughs> You can find the notes for this episode at stjerometulsa.org. And if you're new here, it's also a great place to find out more about our parish. That's stjerometulsa.org. Thank you for listening to Sacramentum, and we'll talk to you next episode.